and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support. The speakers and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. If you're viewing um, online, we will enter that into the chat section. And if you're viewing after the fact, you will find the survey link in the description section of the video. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Supriya Manapali, who is our Medical Director for Infection Prevention and Control. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, our speaker today for ID Grand Round CME event is Dr. Barash Siddiqui. He completed his medical school at Sabah University School of Medicine in the Caribbean in 2009, followed by his IM residency at United Health Services Hospitals in New York. He initially practiced as an academic hospitalist for two years at the University of Buffalo prior to pursuing his Infectious Diseases Fellowship in 2016 at Virginia Tech Carleon Clinic and Ronick UVA, Virginia. He joins us now from the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. He's been with us for a couple of years now and he's our dedicated outpatient infectious diseases provider. And um, he's focused on short term or short duration of antibiotics, COPAD, transitioning patients from IV to oral earlier. I think we all are learning from him a lot on that. He primarily practices, as I mentioned, in our ID outpatient clinic. On his free time, he enjoys biking, swimming, and baking with his wife and three little kids. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Badr Siddiqui. Thank you very much, Dr. Manapali and uh, Jennifer. This uh, honor to be here and uh, hope I can keep it a little entertaining. And it's the good thing it's not gruesome because my last talk was something <laughs> uh, maybe not too appetizing you know, during lunchtime. Uh, so the topic is uh, emerging infections and future pandemics. And as stated, I have no disclosures. Um, so the objectives are to identify the causes of uh, emerging global infections and to discuss ways to prevent future pandemics. So I started with this uh, just to bring home uh, that uh, what's been going on in the world uh, unfortunately leads to uh, infections and, and pandemics, and I'll get to that, but I just thought I'd start with this cartoon. And uh, we all know that climate change is, change is a reality. Um, and this is just from NASA, uh, you know, pictures. Um, and what's more important is that it seems like we have a, a role to play. Uh, it's not only natural forces. Um, so we, um, we have a lot that we can be hopefully doing to save this planet and uh, prevent, you know, the, the climate change. Um, so, uh, and what's the big deal for, for health and for, for infections? Uh, this is from the uh, American College of Physicians and showing how everything is uh, interrelated. I like to quote uh, Lion King because I watch with my kids, you know, that there's a del delicate balance. And so everything, um, that happens, you know, with pollution uh, affects health. Uh, you see, um, 
everything is, is, is related, you know, mental health, you know, uh, hygiene, you know, uh, nutrition, um, everything is, is related. Um, and so, um, as you see, increased climate change, all of these, the flooding and heat waves, drought leads to uh, loss of habitation, poverty, mass immigration, violence, and um, all of that negatively impacts our health, as you see down here. Um, I know there's a lot going on in, on this slide, but basically it's showing that climate change causes all of these negative um, effects on our health. And this is, these are the numbers um, showing how climate change has affected our health um, and caused uh, death um, throughout the world. And you can uh, see this is from the uh, World Health Organization. Um, I'm not going to read all those numbers, too much numbers, but uh, so how does it uh, affect health? And uh, I'll just go into a little bit of climate change. So increased wildfires we've seen since uh, 2020, uh, record-breaking. Um, it causes uh, many people to go homeless. Um, projections indicate that wildfires will increase as climate change increases. This is from the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, we also see increased temperature and changing rainfall. So you see increased number of vectors, infectious uh, agents spreading. And you, we will see a lot more of these communicable diseases uh, like dengue, malaria, hantavirus, salmonella, giardia, and cholera. Increased temperature also uh, causes the mosquitoes and uh, anopheles like malaria. They, they require a higher temperature to survive. Uh, water scarcity also is a side effect of the climate change, and that increases um, diarrhea uh, worldwide. And here's another table just showing how everything is intertwined um, with, I like to call it, you know, bug and and the, uh, you know, we have different types of um, pathways, you know, to the human being that uh, we have our own barrier, but then they're, they're breached by these bugs that we have and by not only our own uh, host problems, but also the manipulation of the environment. And you can see how it, they're all related here. Um, So I'm just going to go into a few different uh, organisms that are thought to be emerging infectious diseases. Uh, again, there are a lot more that can come out that we don't know, that we're not you know, familiar with. Um, but one of them is uh, Japanese encephalitis. Uh, so it requires uh, 22 to 23 degrees Celsius for mosquito de uh, development and 25 to 26 degrees for transmission. And so we would see this a lot uh, spreading more, a lot more um, with the climate change. Um, extended periods of hot weather increase average temperature of uh, bodies of water and food environment, which also cause the growth of algal blooms, and that causes uh, Vibrio to grow. And, caused uh, 
diarrheal infection. Salmonella uh, requires temperature between 7 to 37 for reproduction. And we know salmonella, um, what it causes, um, what it, organs can affect all the different organs and uh, be spread very easily. Um, also for these mosquito uh, viruses, temperature variation uh, are important uh, for the distribution and incidence of dengue. Uh, increased drought and excess rainfall also increase the abundance of mosquitoes. This is a little bit a little blurry, but basically we're looking at the the, the bars going up uh, based off temperature. The higher the temperature, the more mosquitoes. Recent analysis indicates that number of dengue cases have been as high as 400 million per year. Uh, climate affects dengue virus and vector populations both directly and indirectly. As we see here. And I don't mean to be uh, gloomy and have uh, pessimistic, but this is just how things may turn out if uh, climate change is not you know, addressed. And as you can see, the, the spread of uh, viral infections over decades you know, will just get worse and worse. Uh, Lyme is another infection that uh, is affected by climate change uh, with increased storms and precipitation uh, increases the spread of the, uh, the vectors and uh, ticks. Also, West Nile has uh, increased. Uh, SARS also, uh, although it is inactivated in sunshine, but uh, may be increased. Sunshine hours and temperature in increases vibrio. Uh, wind, and in, uh, wind causes uh, spread of disease as well. Dust particles increase attachment and viral uh, surviving uh, in transportation. Asian dust storms have increased uh, bacteria and fungi as well. Uh, influenza A uh, has also been higher with Asian dust storms and viruses transported across ocean by dust particles. Increased rainfall it also increases uh, diarrheal infections and uh, unusual precipitation after long uh, drought can increase uh, pathogens causing uh, outbreaks. So basically droughts and uh, low rainfall also uh, increases waterborne pathogen. Uh, increased humidity uh, increases malarial growth in the mosquito and temperature and humidity during rainy season uh, in Singapore increases uh, dengue virus propagation in mosquitoes contributing to outbreaks. Migratory birds also contribute to transmission of viruses and H5N1 outbreaks uh, were tied to fowl migration. Uh, increased temperature leads to increased uh, insect uh, expansion into higher altitude. Malaria, trypanosomiasis, uh, Lyme, tick-borne encephalitis, yellow fever, plague, and dengue have also distributed uh, more widely. As winter temperature increases, uh, Oncomillenia pupensis, intermediate host of schistosoma, 
Japanicum, uh, also extends its distribution to northern China. And I, I mean, I'm going through this really quickly, and I'm just remembering this morning from a, cl a clinic patient asking me how to put it into easier terms. But basically, infections can spread anywhere. Like we see a bug that was that usually lives in the in the gut, like Enterococcus, or we see bugs in um, that are more likely in the mouth, Streptococcus. But we see them spread. We see uh, herpes, you know, one and two spread based on the activity of what's going on with the patient. Um, so similarly, just think of that, you know, with, as, as, as the globe, as things change, you're going to have spread of different vectors you'll see that, that are not normally in one area. Like we tend to think of things geographically, especially on the boards for those studying their um, internal medicine boards, they'll talk about, you know, geography is very important for infections because, you, you know, if you're traveling to southwest California, you know, in the desert, in Arizona, you'll think about coccidiomycosis, or if you're in, you know, um, you're coming from overseas, you're thinking of Japanese encephalitis. But the idea is with climate change, it's shifting everything, like everything is just going to be mixed up, just like with herpes, you know, cold sores up here, down there, herpes one or two, or with, you know, um, gut bugs ending up in the brain. It's just based on the behavior, what's going on. Um, that's spreading all these uh, pathogens. So during times of drought, water scarcity results in poor sanitation, increased contaminated water. Uh, in 1993, ep uh, epidemic of diarrheal disease was due to cryptosporidium, due to heavy uh, spring rains. And by 2030, it's estimated 10% more diarrheal disease than there would, be, would have been without climate change, uh, especially affecting children. So with COVID, we were always wondering, worried about that. Uh, we're seeing, we're gonna, uh, it's expected that there may be more. Um, also neglected tropical diseases uh, like dengue, rabies, um, trypanosomiasis, chagas. We may be seeing more of these as well. According to the, so also antimicrobial resistance is another factor that we often try to combat as infectious disease doctors uh, with antibiotic stewardship because studies show that about half the time antibiotics are not needed and half the time they're ordered longer than necessary. Um, and so what that does, as we all know, cause uh, antimicrobial resistance and it's responsible for at least 2 million illnesses and 23,000 deaths per year. It's estimated to kill more people than cancer and diabetes combined by 2050. So the idea is you can't just wipe out the bugs. They come back, they get mutated. They, they will uh, be difficult, more difficult to eradicate, as I tried to explain to my patients, that uh, the bugs get smarter than the drugs, unfortunately. Um, So what can we do uh, to prevent future pandemics? Uh, immediate restrictive measures uh, have revealed the most efficient actions. So social distancing, lockdown, uh, case detection, isolation, quarantine, and contact uh, tracing. 
other measures track and forecast um, community outbreaks, early and aggressive implementation, public hygiene, uh, characterization of uh, pathogens, and vaccine uh, development. And at a global level, uh, stepwise alert system by the World Health Organization. Uh, so convening with expert uh, consensus to establish an objective evidence-based epidemiological and containment criteria uh, to transparently guide its decision-making processes. And this is from Lancet Infectious Disease 2020. And what have we learned from previous pandemic is importance of staying home when we're sick, maximize on technology, so virtual meeting, um, and then sw uh, switching patient visits as well uh, to virt virtual meetings uh, and visits. Um, also, uh, surveillance of wildlife and high-risk uh, pathogens, so reducing the amount of uh, consumption and the interaction with wildlife and improving uh, biosecurity of uh, wildlife trade and animal markets. As physicians, uh, we also have a social responsibility. Uh, this was in an article by Dr. Bivens that nuclear war, the ultimate never event is a catastrophic inevitability unless we eliminate nuclear weapons and arsenals themselves. And that's reflected in this diagram showing how um, decreasing climate change, also avoiding uh, uh, wars and um, being more green may have less conflict and uh, prevent you know, infections overall will help our health. And so how can we as individuals have a positive influence and you know, I think maybe the tone of this talk is a little uh, depressing, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel. I like to you know, be positive and have an optimistic uh, approach to life that there are certain things and we have a saying, um, in my uh, faith that, that uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that if, you, if the end of time is coming and you have a seed in your hand, plant the seed. You don't care about what's the result. You just want to do good. Whatever good you can do in your capacity, just do it. Whether that's smiling or sending a good, saying a good word to somebody, cheering somebody up, whether that's picking up trash that you see when you're walking on the sidewalk, Whatever positive effect that we can do as individuals, that's uh, what we need. And we don't necessarily see the change all of a sudden, but the change will come eventually that uh, we will see light in the world. And that includes you know, all the, the suffering you know, and the violence in the world that we see. We need positivity, love to spread, to take over the, the anger and the hatred. So this is something that I try to live by um, that maybe uh, hopefully I can continue uh, is to decrease consumerism and consumption. Um, I don't have a picture of this, but there's basically tons and tons of, we know the loads of, of garbage that we put out 
I'm guilty of that every day. You know, more, the studies show, show that probably 40% of food is wasted. It's not needed. It's hurting the environment and it's also going to spread. It's going to cause climate change and it's going to also cause spread of infections. Um, also, just food in general, uh, junk food, processed food, uh, fast food, uh, meat consumption increases climate change as well. So I try to, you know, do maybe once a week, once a month, um, cut down a little, um, eat more fish and uh, avoid plastic. I try to walk around with this um, and recycle whenever you can. Trans transportation, so biking and walking whenever you can. I know it's dangerous. I was telling my staff as a, uh, as a light you know, joke that if you don't find me here, you know what happened. Maybe I get hit by the crane because I'm walking while they're doing construction there. It's not always uh, easy or feasible, but um, carpooling, uh, recycle, and I appreciate my staff who came, you know, that uh, carpooled. Uh, thank you uh, for your support. So electronic use is another thing, and I'm, I love using electronic medical record, and I know how we suffered one day, just one day when we had to go back to paper. So I know that it's really beneficial and it's amazing that we have, you know, electronic medical record, but I try to at least shut down my computer during my lunch hour and also uh, at the end of the day. Um, I'm not sure, I have to talk to IT what's better because sometimes all of these are just like in sleep mode, but I think from what I know is that it's better if you shut it down if you're not going to use it the night, the whole night. And that goes for everything else in the clinic or any in the hospital area. If there's no need for lights or um, machines to be on, then it's good if we can close those. Uh, avoiding, uh, this is something I talk to my patients all the time. Um, so trying to uh, have a healthy diet and lifestyle. Um, again, we mentioned that already, staying home when sick, um, getting vaccinated. That's something we often get a pushback from patients, but I think as providers, the way you, I try to explain to my patients is that you get, um, if we all get telemarketer calls, so you can block some of them, but some of them are smart. They, know, they call you through a different line. So that's how I explain to my patients. And usually they, they become more um, receptive to, to getting a vaccine because they're like, oh, I always get these vaccines. I still get flu or I still get whatever, pneumonia. I explained to them that, you know, you can only block as much as you can block, but it's better to at least block the ones we, we can. And if you get it, you know, that's just fate. Um, and unnecessary antibiotic use as well. And then when in doubt, you have all the wonderful ID minds, uh, more so they're in the hospital <laughs> than me in the clinic, but uh, we're always available and we're happy to uh, help out. Um, All right, so I got through quicker than I thought, but uh, so we have question time. Anybody like to read the question and answer? I think I made them fairly easy. Should we have someone do it? Sure. I mean, okay. whatever or whatever. How do I? I mean, that works for me. Usually. Who shall we pick? Uh, what the process is, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, we have uh, a volunteer. Excellent. All right, which of the following is true? 
Uh, I'm going to go with C. Climate change causes emerging infections. Very good. I'm sorry I don't have any candy for you. But uh, <laughs> um, that's okay. He gets an A for the day. Very good. And question number two. Also, let me mention, if you have a question online, if you'll just enter it into the chat section and we will ask for you. All right, let's see. Question number two. Here we go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, which of the following is an emerging infection? And all of the above? Very good. You're, right. You're ready right. to thank you. for your ID fellowship. <laughs> number three is the last one. Okay, we have one more. Do we have a volunteer? I have up front, Maria. Oh, we have one. All right, hold on. <clears throat> what can we do to prevent future pandemics? All of the above. Excellent. Yay. Thank you so much, everyone, for your attention and uh, coming out and support. Uh, once again, I hope. It was not too pessimistic, but uh, uh, I, this part of the reason I went to ID is that we feel like you know we, we're the ones that everyone comes to when when some pandemic starts. And I'll just say that in the beginning, we never knew it would COVID would turn out this bad as it did. Um, and so sometimes um, we we all lose control, but we're. We're, we're all a team, we all work together, and we hope that we can um, save humanity together and, and kill the bugs when we need to. But I, as I say to the patients, they're, they're not always bad. They're, they're, they're like C. diff, you know, they're, they're um, keeping things in balance, and sometimes, um, you know, we don't necessarily treat things that we see on culture unless there's a clinical correlate. As we know, when we're ordering labs or imaging, we always have to consider, you know, the pretest probability. So when you're, when you're ordering uh, cultures uh, or imaging, always keep that in the back of the mind that uh, is this something that really uh, the patient um, may have an infection or not. Um, and then just keep an eye on um, outbreaks. And even in your own home, sometimes, you know, we're forced because of work. We don't want to take a day off. But if you're sick, at least you can put a mask on and try to take a day off uh, if you know that your kid has something. Or because I have kids and they always like petri dishes, they bring they bring a lot of things home, <laughs> and I bring things home too. So um, uh, keeping that in mind, you know, uh, a lot of times it's more than just uh, the bug; it's your own overall health. If you're strong enough, you can fight it off because it's usually colds. You know, and I explained to patients, this is something that I was not, not taught, like, I, I felt like could have been more pushed in, in fellowship about just general things, how to prevent getting an infection. So, for instance, not blowing your nose too hard, not coughing too hard, because that causes, you know, uh, uh, vessels, blood vessels to tear, and it causes the mucosa, the... the 
the turbinates to swell, and that causes obstruction. And the body and everything, the world was meant to be in motion. So if you're having a runny nose or whatever, you know, not always stopping it, plugging it, you know, if you're having uh, issues with the gut, same thing, you know, with C. diff, if you give a uh, stool, you know, uh, if you give them modium, they can develop toxic megacolon and, and rupture and it, you'll have an acute abdomen. So not always using drugs, but using um, non-medicinal therapy is also something that, you know, helps uh, a lot of times to prevent, you know, spread of infections. Uh, just common, you know, things we know in hygiene, covering our, our, our face when we're coughing or sneezing. Uh, these are common, but they're often some things that uh, general population may not know or need a little kind reminder. So thank you very much again. Uh, any questions? Dr. Siddiqui, thank you again for a great talk. Um, just wanted to mention that I was at the ID Society meeting recently, and it was less of about ID, more about climate change, because climate change is the number one threat for emerging infections. And I don't know, you may have already read in the news, uh, we have, I think, first time in the history we have malaria in cases here in U.S. in those who have not traveled outside of United States. We also are seeing, it was in the news, of Vibrio vulnificus infections in New York, North Carolina, and not in the Gulf of Mexico or those places we normally see. We're already seeing the change. Bugs that live in animals are jumping into humans. And of course, the pandemic in the last few years is another example. And um, bugs that are supposed to be endemic or not staying endemic anymore, they're becoming more resistant to survive the climate change. So this is the number one threat. Thank you again for the talk. My pleasure. We have a question right here. Thank you, Dr. Siddiqui, for the great presentation. I had a question, uh, especially because, you know, coming from Mumbai, India, where any patient coming with fever, first thing we start thinking about is vector-borne diseases, dengue, malaria, and so on and so forth. But over here, we don't see those cases. Uh, I must have seen maybe one malaria case over here. So do you think United States is uh, ready for, you know, prime time in terms of, you know, Considering to do, uh, you know, workup for dengue, malaria from the time patient walks into the door for with fever, uh, because right now only when we do all the workup and still we don't have a cause for the fever, then we uh, label it more under fever of unknown origin, and then maybe we do extra workup, and that time maybe we may consider. Uh, although there are cases where there are classic symptoms associated with malaria or dengue or other conditions that you spoke about uh, with classic symptoms and signs and uh, travel history and so on and so forth. And then we start uh, working in that direction. So do you think that uh, America is already ready for that or there's still more time? Yeah, I, that's a good point. And I feel like it's something that should be worked up and looked at, uh, especially as Dr. Manipalvi mentioned. So the anybody that's coming, uh, any travel uh, and fever, fever of unknown origin, I mean, taking a good history and then, yes, including anything like that in the workup is, is prudent. Um, we, I, I actually haven't seen that much as well, but we, we, we do, I've ordered, you know, malarial smears and uh, dengue, you know, uh, serologies on patients. And uh, uh, sometimes, uh, interestingly, a lot of these serologies, they have cross-reactivity. So you may have seen for fungal uh, infections as well, you know, like histoblastoma may have cross-reactivity, 
Similarly, these arboviruses vectors, they may have uh, some cross-reactivity, dengue with chikungunya, Zika, or anything else. So um, definitely taking a good history is important. Uh, travel and, and, uh, and looking at the CDC uh, website and then seeing um, what their activities are. So um, exposures and if they've had any histories, you know, being uh, bitten by mosquitoes and, and avoiding. So things uh, that we, we know uh, how to prevent, you know, is avoiding, you know, the dawn and dusk time. Uh, that's when they come out more, the, the mosquitoes, um, you know, stagnant water areas, things like that. And then wearing DEET, 30 or 50%, which you can get from the Walmart or anywhere, uh, and that helps prevent a lot of these uh, West Nile, Zengi, Zika, and all these. Um, so uh, reminding patients to, to spray that uh, insect repellent whenever they're going out in the woods and use long sleeves and wide brim hat, which I brought over uh, walking here. You know, um, all those things may help, you know, prevent uh, those infections as well. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Siddiqui. Thank you very much, everyone. Again.